Well, good morning. Um, a few of you have asked me, but this being the first time that I've preached for Trinity, if I am nervous, and um, I can assure you guys that absolutely I am. Um, but I'm also excited for the message that God has for us, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm honored to be able to preach for you all this morning. Um, this morning we will study Romans chapter 15, verse 13. This verse is a prayer by the Apostle Paul for the church in Rome, and it is a prayer for hope. I think studying a prayer for hope is a great way to close out the year together. Here's why. If you've been with us for the past several months, then you know that we have been talking a lot about hope as Matt has walked us through 1 Peter. So as a church family, we have been learning about hope for an extended season. Um, and, all the sermon, and although the sermon series has been over for a few weeks, this verse will be helpful because it will teach us how to pray for hope. So we've learned about hope, and now we will close out this year by learning how to pray for hope. And if you haven't been walking with us for long, or, or maybe this is your first Sunday with, here, uh, with us here at Trinity... Uh, Let me say welcome. We're glad you decided to spend your Sunday with us. And please know that this prayer will serve you all well, too. It will greatly serve all of us uh, as it teaches us how to pray for hope. We have two points this morning. Um, The mystery of hope and the miracle of hope. With the mystery of hope... I want to spend just a little bit of time on how we see the Trinity working together for our hope and why that is encouraging. Then we will spend most of our time on the miracle of hope. In this section, we will examine joy and peace. These are the two things Paul prays God would fill the church with in order that their hope would overflow. Well, with that, hopefully you've had a chance to find Romans 15, 13. So if you all will please stand uh, out of honor for God's word and join me as we read. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, let me start us off with some context for our verse this morning. This prayer by Paul for the church in Rome comes at the end of a section in Romans, found in chapters 14 and 15, uh, where Paul addresses the church's need for unity. This church needed unity, mostly because it was comprised of believing Jews and Gentiles, a group of people who historically did not get along well. And due to certain circumstances caused by the Roman government, this church had even more reason not to get along. There are several major themes that you can argue comprise the book of Romans, but Paul's concern for this church's unity is perhaps one of the biggest. And in response to this concern... Paul gives the church some of the most theologically rich passages, passages that go into great detail, unpacking for God's people why they need Jesus, 
and how blessed they are to have him. So in order to address the church's need for unity, he points them to Jesus. We find an example of this in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, where Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Leading up to these verses, he says that there is no, dis, uh, no distinction. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. Everyone is guilty of sinning and falling short of God's glory, and everyone needs to be justified. And the promise of the verse is that they can be by faith in Jesus, who is a gracious gift from God. So again, we see Paul addressing their unity issue by pointing them to Jesus. As we move further along in the letter, in Romans 5, Paul again teaches that they have been justified by faith in Jesus, therefore they now have peace with God and access to his grace. And then even further along, in our section this morning of chapters 14 and 15, Paul challenges the church to pursue peace with one another. So not only do they have peace with God, they should want peace with each other. And Paul challenges them to pursue this peace By serving each other, pointing to Jesus as their example, who came as a servant for both Jews and Gentiles. So here again, we have Paul pointing the church to Jesus. For in faith, Jesus is how they have peace with God, and he's their example for how to pursue peace with one another. And then the very last thing that Paul says before he begins his prayer in verse 13 is this. He makes a statement saying that the church's hope is in Jesus. This hope is not one of many. It's not that we place our hope in this thing, in that thing, and then we put a little hope in Jesus. What Paul is saying is that there's only one place for God's people to hope, and that is in Jesus. He is the answer for every need they have. Justification, sanctification, glorification, peace with God, even peace with each other. Jesus is the answer for it all. Therefore, in Jesus is where they believe and have hope. And with that statement, in Jesus they have hope, he moves into our verse this morning, verse 13, and begins to pray for hope. And as he prays, he does so by asking God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to give the church an abounding hope in Jesus. And so that brings us to our first point, the mystery of hope. When I say the mystery of hope, I want to show you how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all work together for the church's hope, and then explain why that's encouraging for us. So let's begin by looking at where we find the Trinity. God the Father, God the Father is the God of hope we find at the beginning of Paul's prayer. Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. He is the one who gives us our hope. God the Son. Like we just discussed, God the Son is who we hope in. He is the object of our hope. We can see this if we go one verse back to verse 12. 
where Paul, quoting from Isaiah, says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. He's speaking about Jesus as king, the perfect offspring of David, or the root of Jesse, who has come to rule over both Jews and Gentiles, and in him they find their hope. And then we find the Holy Spirit, At the back end of verse 13, the Spirit is the one who comes with all of his power to guarantee that the church receives hope. So this is the mystery that we have detailed for us. Our hope comes from God the Father. Our hope is in God the Son. And we get this hope by the power of God the Holy Spirit. This is how the Trinity works together for our hope. And I'm calling this the mystery of hope because to me, the way the Trinity works is mysterious. In this verse, you have one God, yet three distinct persons with three distinct roles in our hope. This is mysterious. And I wish we had more time to unpack it, but for now, I just want to help us enjoy the beauty of this mystery. Here is the beauty of this mystery. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united as one in their work for us. United in their work of giving us hope. The Father delights to give us our hope, and the Son stepped down from his throne, took the form of sinful man, and humbled himself to the point of death on a cross so that it could be found in him, and the Spirit comes with all of his power to guarantee that we receive it. The three working as one so that you and I would abound in hope. And here is why I find the beauty of this mystery so encouraging. It's found in the fact that Paul's prayer is not so much transactional as it is relational. Meaning, when Paul prays for hope, it's not merely our encouragement that Paul is concerned with, but our relationship with God. He's not simply praying for God to give the church something nice. He's praying that God would give the church more of himself. And here's why that's encouraging. This is the way the Trinity has been working for all of eternity in relationship with each other, delighting in each other and giving themselves to one another. Again, this is mysterious, but it's also beautiful. And when we see the Trinity working together for us, the same way they've always worked for themselves, that means that they've now brought us in to delight with them. This does not mean that we have become gods ourselves, but it does mean that we are now recipients of their delight and love, and the triune God has made us capable of delighting in and enjoying them. This is a beautiful mystery. And here's how this teaches us to pray for hope. With Paul's prayer as our model, We pray asking our Father for hope. And we pray that our church family would have hope that is in Jesus. And that we all would rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to receive it. 
And remembering that Paul's prayer is more relational than it is transactional, we pray that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would continue to give us more of themselves and increase the joy we have in them. Now as we look again at Paul's prayer, we will see how this mysterious work of the triune God leads to a miracle. That's our second point, the miracle of hope. Hope is a miracle because it comes from God and is not by our own strength. This is what unites our first point with our second point. The beautiful mystery of the triune God working a miracle in the life of the church to give us hope. And as we continue to study Paul's prayer, we can see that God has a game plan for this miracle of hope. Now, I will say this to you all. My wife does not like for me to use the term game plan. And I did it anyways. Um, The reason for that is I overuse it in our household. So, for example, we have a son who's about to be two. If he has a dirty diaper, my approach, I say, what's our game plan for a fresh one? Right? If we're about to go out... um, and enjoys some food. I say to my wife, what's our game plan? Where are we going? Or if we're just around the house relaxing and we're about to watch Netflix, I turn to my wife and I say, well, what's our game plan for a show? So I have exhausted this phrase in my household. So be it. (laughs) Nevertheless, God does have a game plan for this miracle of hope. And it's filling us with joy and peace as we believe in Jesus. Let's look at this verse again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So this is the great miracle of hope. God working through faith in the Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit to fill his church with joy and peace so that their hope would abound. Joy and peace. Let's now examine these two terms so we can understand how being filled with them leads to an abounding hope. First, let's look at joy. My son and I have a bedtime routine. It begins with a bath, brushing his teeth, putting on his pajamas, and then we read a book, and then we read another book, and another book, and a few more after that. And once this marathon of book reading comes to an end, um, we pray. We typically pray the same prayer each night, and we always end by praying for Haley. A piece of that prayer for his mom, my wife, is that God would fill her with joy. Well, the other night as we prayed, I began to think, what exactly do I mean by asking God to fill my wife with joy? Do I mean that I want her to be happy? Well, of course. But it's more than that. When I pray and ask God to fill my wife with joy, what I am asking for is that God would fill her 
with an unshakable joy that finds its fullest satisfaction in him. This is what I'm praying for when I ask God to give my wife joy. And I'm praying it because um, I know that God alone can do it. So I pray asking God to give her the joy because I know that I can't do that. And I know my son, as great as he is, he can't do that for his mom. Only God can make my wife full of joy and fully satisfied in himself. I believe this is what we see with Paul's prayer. He petitions God to fill the church with joy, knowing that God alone is their source for joy, and he's praying that this joy would find its fullness in God. So Paul is praying for a joy that comes from God, and is in God. Now let's pause here and talk for a minute about the challenges that come with joy. Joy can be a rather complex emotion. Um, in large part because it seems like it's always competing with some other feeling or thought that we have. Whether it be fear, sadness, anxiety, insecurity. Our joy when it's not from God and in God is often flimsy and can be easily conquered. There's the added challenge that when we talk about joy and God, it can lead us to despair instead of hope. The line of thought goes something like this. Because we don't always feel joy in our relationship with God, we then grow afraid that we don't belong to God. On top of this, is another challenge, which is when we go through really hard times, our fear that we don't belong to God can increase even faster because we find it hard to have joy in the midst of sorrow. These are just a few of the challenges with joy. Well, let's look back at the verse that we have here from Paul because Paul will teach us and help us with these challenges as he prays for hope. First, we see that he seeks God for it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. He's teaching us that if God is our source of joy, then it will be firm, not flimsy. The reason is God will always accomplish the work that he begins. So if God is the one doing the work of filling us with joy, then the joy we receive from him will not only be firm, but victorious over any other hopeless, despairing feeling that might compete for our heart and mind. If God is the source, then our joy is secure. For this is the same God who Paul prays earlier in his letter, predestined us, called us, justified, and will glorify us. This is the same God who Paul says, nothing can separate us from his love. Our God who loves us will perfectly complete the work he has started in us. So friends, know and believe this. If you are trusting this morning in Jesus as your Savior and King, then God has already started the work of filling you with joy, and he will complete it. Second, Paul's prayer helps us with the challenges of joy, because not only is our joy from God, it is in God. 
So not only does God give this joy to us, he is the object of it. This is critical. Because if the object of your joy is immovable like God, then your joy is strong. Let's add another layer to this truth. Consider Psalm 1611, which says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What I love about this verse is the line, In your presence there is fullness of joy. This means our joy is directly tied to God's presence. Our joy is full by being with God. Do you see the strength that that brings to our joy? What this means is, if we have a God that is always with us, who will never leave us or forsake us, then we have a joy that will never fail. We have an unshakable joy because it is from God, and our joy is filled by being with God. But again, we need to be careful here, because if we're not, this truth can actually lead us to despair. Because you might be tempted to say to yourself, I don't feel this joy, so I must not have God. But before you go there, remember, we did not receive God based on joy. We received God by faith alone. So if your faith is in Jesus, then you belong to God and he is with you. This is not based on a feeling. This is based on a promise. So work from that place. By faith, you have God and he is always with you. Therefore, you have a joy that will only increase. Fight for this joy. Long to really fill this joy and its sweetness in your life. But do so knowing and believing that it depends on God and he is faithful to give it to you. And here's where this joy connects us to hope. There is a day that is coming when our joy will be completely full. One day we will be with God face to face. And the joy we felt in the best of moments won't compare to the joy we will have on that day. The joy of seeing our Lord face to face and knowing that we will be with him forever. In the presence of our God, there is fullness of joy. Let us believe this and have hope. Well, next, let's look at peace. This is the second thing that Paul prays the church would be filled with. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Peace can mean several different things in the Bible. In fact, peace can mean several different things even within the book of Romans. The peace that we see here in verse 13, I think, can mean one of two things. It could be referring to an inner peace believers have. A calmness where fear, anxiety, stress, and other feelings are being conquered by the Holy Spirit. It could also mean peace between God's people as they live in unity. I think both of these options make sense for what Paul is praying. But it's the latter 
Peace between believers that I think is our best option. Let me explain why I think this. First, I mentioned earlier in the message that one of the major themes of Romans is Paul's concern for the church's unity. You find this theme throughout the letter. And it's most prominent in the section that contains our verse, the section you find with chapters 14 and 15, where Paul instructs the stronger believers to pursue the good of the weaker believers. He also encourages the church to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed them and to serve one another with Christ as their example. So the driving theme of this section is the church's need for unity. And then here's one more bit of context that makes me believe Paul is praying for unity when he prays for peace. The context is found in Romans chapter 14, verses 17 through 19, where we find a similar set of verses about joy and peace. The verses say this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What Paul is teaching in these verses is that the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or what we drink, but it is a matter of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of God's people to produce righteousness, peace, and joy. He then instructs the church to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We see in these verses, Paul is speaking about a peace that establishes the unity of God's people. We can see the Holy Spirit working out this peace by conquering our selfishness and pride, replacing it with love and humility, and the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is working to pursue the things that lead to this peace and mutual upbuilding. So the peace in these verses is about unity. And I think it helps us understand the peace Paul is praying for in Romans 15, 13. There is a difference, though, between the verses in chapter 14 compared to our verse in chapter 15. The difference is that in chapter 14, Paul speaks to both the role of the Holy Spirit and the responsibility of the church in working out this peace. With our verse here in chapter 15, it's all about God. Now, I need to confess a little something to you all. Since I began planning to preach on Romans 15, 13, every time I came to this part on peace, I naturally just started unpacking Romans 14 instead of 15. In fact, it was only a couple of days ago that I decided to rethink this part of the message entirely. I just didn't feel like I was being faithful to what Romans 15, 13 was saying about peace. You see, I wanted to talk about the church's role in pursuing that peace. I wanted to highlight the exhortation we see from Paul to pursue this peace by seeking out the things that lead to mutual upbuilding, like seeking the pleasures of others before our own. And serving one another as Christ has served the church. I wanted to highlight the challenge we see to be in one another's lives, working hard to be there for each other, establishing relationships that put the wisdom of God on display. And I wanted to talk about how it's hard to do this, 
how exhausting it can be to actually exist as God's people. And honestly, how at times it can be discouraging. Especially if we feel we are giving our all and not receiving the same from one another. So I wanted to talk about all of those things, and I guess I kind of just did. Um, but all of that is for Romans 14, and, and, and honestly, most of chapter 15, but it's, it's not for our verse this morning. Our verse this morning is about God's work. As Paul closes out this section about the church's need for unity, he no longer addresses what the people need to be doing. He turns his attention to God. And prays for God to do what only God can do. Fill the church with the peace they need. So let me do my best to be faithful to what we see here in this verse. Like the church in Rome, Trinity needs to be filled with peace. We need to be so united to one another that nothing can divide us. And while there's much we all can do towards that end, we will toil in vain if we miss what Paul is teaching us in his prayer. God alone fills the church with peace. Furthermore, God fills the church with peace so that hope would overflow. That means hope is found where God brings his church together as one in Jesus. So if you are feeling hopeless, if you are wrestling with despair, then come be part of God's people, and your hope will be restored. Not because of our work, but because of God who is faithful to bring hope by filling us with peace. So this is God's game plan for the miracle of hope. He is filling us with an unshakable joy that finds its fullness in God's presence. And he is filling us with a peace that unites us together as one. As we place our faith in Jesus, God fills us with all joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, our hope would abound. And here's how this middle part of our verse teaches us to pray for hope. We pray for this game plan. Surely I've worn that out with you now too. Nevertheless, we pray for this game plan. We turn to God and we ask him to fill our church family with an unshakable joy that comes from God and is in God. And for a peace that unites us as one and makes us a people where hope overflows. This brings us to the close of our message. And as we bring things to a close this morning, I really only have one application for you. Like Paul, we need to be praying for each other. I know that's an application you've heard many times before, but friends, don't let it fall on deaf ears. We need to be praying for one another. This is the time of year when people prepare to make resolutions 
Well, if there's any resolution to be had as we enter into the new year, let it be that we would commit to praying for our family here at Trinity. And as we do, let's take everything that we've learned about hope and begin praying for it. Modeling our prayer after the one we have here from Paul. Praying for each other. That the God of hope would fill us with joy and peace as we come together and trust in Jesus. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we all would abound in hope. And that we as a church family would be known by each other and by the world around us as a people where hope overflows. Join me as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And we pray that you would fill us as your people with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of your Holy Spirit we would abound in hope. A hope that overflows into the lives of one another and a hope that overflows into this community around us. We thank you for your message this morning. We pray that you would use it to sanctify us, to continue to grow us, and as a family here at Trinity, to continue to unite us as one. Father, thank you. Be with us as we look ahead to 2019 and and look forward to another year. And like Shaka said, trusting and knowing in what you have already accomplished for us. You are a great father. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.